On this episode of Resi Week, Best Buy cuts jobs, there are massive chip shortages, and a huge ISC update. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Rosie Week, episode 265, Chip Shortage. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Access Networks. Welcome to this episode of Resi. This is your weekly roundup of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott for avnation.tv. And this week, we're pleased to be joined by three of my best friends in the business. First, we have Mr. Giles Sutton. He is the co-CEO at Cedia. How are you doing, Giles? I'm doing really well, Matt. Thanks ever so much for inviting me back. Oh, thank you for being here. Then we have Jimmy Paskey. He is in charge of residential sales for Surgex. How are you doing, Jimmy? Hey, man, doing wonderful. And it feels good to be back here. It's, it's been a minute. I'm so glad you're back. And last but certainly not least, we have my good friend, Mitchell Klein. He is the executive director at the Z-Wave Alliance. How are you, sir? I'm fabulous and always happy to be here with you and your team. So glad you're back, my friend. All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have a lot to cover today. It's been a busy weekend. Oddly enough, you wouldn't think so in the end of February, but here we are. Uh, coming to us from CE Pro, Best Buy's Q4 revenues are up 12.5%, but they're going to cut 5,000 jobs and close uh, a few couple stores or a few hundred stores, depending how you look at it. Uh, this is in addition to the story that came out uh, late last week that Fry's suddenly closed down as well. Uh, so you're obviously seeing that side. On the Best Buy side, what's interesting to me is that online sales made up 43% of all their sales last year. And they were saying that uh, a, large per a large percentage of their revenue was coming from a very small percentage of their stores. Giles, let me, let me start with you. Is this, it, to me, this is somewhat expected. I did not expect to see them list uh, such a large number of stores that they are looking at closing but the layoffs do not surprise me. They've already laid off something uh, just over 100,000 people over 2020 due to, again, just stores being closed. Do you see these numbers as, as what to be expected or, or are they hit a little bit harder than, than you would have thought? There, I, there's certainly a little bit unexpected when I read it. When I, read it. Um, I, th I guess what is also interesting is that while they did um, lay off 5,000 employees. They also recruited 2,000 part-time employees as well. Mm -hmm. That was in the article. Um, and, and when you read the, um, you know, really very, very positive sales figures, it is interesting that they're making this move. And I understand it is across the organization. It's not just retail staff yeah. um, that are affected by, uh, by this. What is interesting as I look at it and how it affects our industry is as, you know, they are predicting, even though they've had, you know, stellar sales, in the past 12 months, they are predicting that actually dropping or at least leveling. So what I'm wondering is, is, that, is this uh, uh, sort of pointing us in the direction that there is, that, that we've seen a lot of us, a surge in sales because people are working from home and that there's that real focus on the home. Are we seeing that perhaps 
as people start to return to offices with the rollout of the vaccine right now, that actually that, that, that whole sort of bell curve is starting to level off a little bit. And that's the only thing that I'm, I'm just keeping my eye on, how that maybe affects our industry. Is this sort of a, a way things are going to be moving from, from now forward? Well, and that's a good point, because there is also that market saturation point, right? As everyone transitioned to home, there was that massive uptake that, that integrators and retailers, you know, across the globe, but especially in North America, they went out and bought networking gear and, and outfitted their offices. You don't have to upgrade that necessarily quickly once you've done that once. Uh, so, so that might be part of it. Jimmy, to, to that point, they're projecting a minus two to a, a plus 1% for sales growth over the next 12 months. Typically, we can kind of use the Best Buy projections as a, as a, as a barometer for what's happening in the, the residential space from the CI side. Obviously, there are clients that are just Best Buy clients, and there are clients that are never Best Buy clients and just our clients, but it's usually a good predictor. Does this number concern you? Is this kind of what you're expecting to see? Do you think there's a correlation there? You know, I, I think it's a good gauge, but I guess it depends on where at in the CDA channel you're doing your business as an integrator or as a vendor. And I, I think I hang around folks that are maybe uh, in the upper stratosphere, Barco, Meridian, mm-hmm. uh, Access Networks is doing really well, and they don't see a slowdown this year. Neither do Barco, Meridian. We're all checking each other on pipelines, you know, how's your activity for quoting, and since November, December, and right into January, and all the way through February, the pipeline looks super solid, you know, moving forward for the rest of the year. I I found the interesting part about the Best Buy thing uh, being the box moving that they intend to do. I think that's uh, somewhat funny only because back in the day, you know, 90s and the early 2000s, we used to refer to those big chains as box movers. And, you know, now we've got a whole new meaning to box mover, right? And I think, I think they're smart to focus in on that strength because that certainly is a strength, that hub and spoke approach. Uh, and I think what that will do for our business is just create more of that just in the nick of time need of product. Yeah. Yeah, very yep. good. It's all about the logistics here, right? And they've got the network to do that. Mitch, I have been saying since the kind of the start of this when Best Buy shifted so quickly to not only phenomenal inventory control uh, the last couple of months, notwithstanding, um, but the, the manner in which uh, Corey Berry shifted them into online and pickup delivery curbside, they were the, they were the model for this. Should we, as a as a industry, should we be paying a little bit more attention to the way in which Best Buy has been been addressing their their clientele, their their customer base? Between that, between their their total tech support, they're kind of laying the framework. Yeah, I think in some ways, uh, don't get caught with inventory though. Whatever you do, don't follow that model, okay? <laughs> Please. <laughs> um, but what uh, Best Buy has been really, really good at is predicting where the next hot category is going to be. Um, you know, I look at when they're cutting employees and cutting staff, and you figure they're not going to be in the CD, DVD, you know, game 
buying business much longer, if at all, right? Yeah. So that's not just the salespeople, that's the buyers, that's all the logistics, everything around that. And what they're targeting, if you read any article, they're targeting health and wellness. Yeah. How long have we been preaching that to our members? How long have we been saying that? Well, you know, Best Buy is going to beat a lot of our members to it, but there's still time. So, yeah, I would look at that and certainly not at moving the boxes per se. That, that's a, I, I would love to dig into that um, on the wellness side and, and the way in which Best Buy goes after emerging markets. It's, it's phenomenal case study stuff, uh, but we'll have to do that another day. I'm glad you brought up inventory. And the reason I'm glad you brought up inventory is our next story coming to us from Fortune, the great chip shortage of 2021. Why car makers and computer makers and literally every electronic maker in the world is scrambling for parts because of, well, inventory stuff. If you are unaware of this, there has been a massive shortage in chipsets uh, coming from a, there was a couple specifically one in particular, a, uh, a factory that burnt down in Japan and it has wreaked havoc across your supply lines, across your manufacturers, across literally anything that seems to be built out of electronics seems to be having issues. That's why you and the biz can't find receivers. That's why you can't uh, find A to D uh, amps. That's why uh, car manufacturers are having massive issues uh, building cars. Jimmy, when you when you see this, and, and if you are unaware of this topic, not Jimmy specifically, but anybody listening, go read this article. It is, this stuff is a little scary when you're in the electronics business, which we are. Jimmy, when you see this, when you see how bad it is out there from a chipset, and I'm not sure if, if Surgex uses anything involved in this or not, but you still rely on chips and, and components and, and, and pieces. How do manufacturers go about seeing something like this happen? As in one of your main suppliers for something that you use every day, literally going up in, in smoke with no other option to purchase. That like no one else is making these chips. How do you go about reacting to that? There's a couple observations uh, that come to mind. You know, forecasters, uh, I, I joined Sony in 99. I've been at several manufacturers since. Every manufacturer was uber focused on supply chain and tightening up its inventory levels as it related to sales. So sales forecasting has been huge since mm -hmm. the early 2000s, right? Uh, so I think it's tough when you're trying to forecast ahead, A, not seeing a pandemic coming, B, not realizing that the pandemic was going to steal so much business uh, from one year to the other, bring it all into one instead of rolling over three years. So you've got that like one-two punch of, we just blew through a ton of inventory that we did not expect to blow through. And that's mm -hmm. just our consumer goods that we all are related with in the Cedia space. Forget about web cameras and the car manufacturers and everything else that, you know, maybe we're not thinking about, but I can't help but think if it's if it's CTA versus Ford GM, you know who's going to win that battle, uh, lobbying for chips. And I know that the car manufacturers are definitely on it. Um, yeah. So I, I think allocation is going to be important coming up ahead. Well, not even just the car manufacturers, but also you oh. know Apple, yeah. Samsung, 
Yeah. Like it, it is. That's why I say if you if you haven't been paying attention to this, you really need to. Mitch, you're kind of in this business of, of chip manufacturing. You you your parent company is Silicon Labs. I, I I'm still baffled at how this happened essentially, and, and and to the point of, you know, there are other chip makers who are looking at now building more factories to offset this. And even though there are a couple in the works, um, I know Samsung has got a couple uh, that they're trying to build right now in Texas. And it, like it's a $17 billion plant, but it still won't be able to produce chip, chips for another three years. Is the electronics industry as we know it today, is that going to somewhat grind to a halt over the next year and a half? Okay, so first of all, I can give you the perspective from uh, Silicon Labs, and you know we're we're providing silicon for everyone from Tesla to uh, uh, to, to microphones and to uh, a lot of consumer electronics. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so you you've got basically three companies that are really building these these high end chips, these high quality chips. Now, when you take one of them and say, okay, let's let's boycott them, let's prevent them from coming in. So you, what you have is the perfect storm. Yep. Perfect storm couldn't be any better than this, right? Between the fire of the, the um, company in Japan, which was you know a little bit of a setback, but not not terrible. Then you end up with a trade war. So then you've got okay, a good maybe a third of the supply line that we can't bring into the U.S. We can't build products. Mm -hmm. Then you had a pandemic on top of that, where the chip companies shut down manufacturing because of pandemic issues. Then add on top of that demand for wafers is only going to continue to grow dramatically every year. I mean, look at the stock market, look at companies, maybe ours, look at others. Um, everything has a chip in it. And if it doesn't, it will, period. And that, that's everything, you name it. So where are these all going to come from when you really only got three factories supplying them? Well, I think we have to look past that. And you got Samsung, who's one of the big ones building more, but that's more Samsung. Yeah. So, you know, where are we going to go with that? Well, let's just say that it's an enormous opportunity for me. I'm thrilled. This is great. Um, I'm not the sales guy that has to tell my, my company, uh, my customer, I should say, that I'm going to give you 30% of your orders now, right? Yeah. Um, but demand's up. And I think overall, this is going to be a good thing because we're going to realize we're relying on so few for such a big, big thing. We'll see where it goes. Very good. Giles, I'm... I'm thrilled that you're on for this one um, because one of the biggest things that, that we've seen kind of as a, 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 an effect of this has been obviously the lack of consumer electronics that have been available. If you tried to buy a receiver last, you know, the last three, four months, you were waiting three to four months. Uh, we have, I know specifically we have a project that we sold uh, the middle of October, we got the check, we placed the order. We still haven't got that receiver. It's still not even in our, our main, our suppliers warehouse to come to us. It's the first of March. How do integrators deal with this level of scarcity in products? There, there, there's been, you know, there's been a couple articles about it. There's been a couple, there's been lots of ranting on Facebook about, oh, yeah. you know, manufacturers 
not keeping up. And, you know, some manufacturers seem to get more hate about that than others. We're not going to name any names on that one. Um, but it, it's something where I know our, our company, we've procured product anywhere we can just to close the deal. How do you go about in March of 2021, quoting projects where you need product that you have no idea when you might be able to get your hands on it? Well, I just, I think this is a huge issue for integrators because as we all know, the majority of integrators don't, don't keep in, don't have inventory, don't, don't keep stock. And I, and I can see having been a past integrator myself where there can be challenges here, like the sort of time scales that you mentioned there, Matt, you know how hard it is to get clients to pay in advance for product. If you're, if you're saying you're going to have to pay, if you are in general, actually, yes, in general. So if you're asking for customers to pay three months in advance, and then you're, there's no guarantee you're even going to get the product after three months. It's a huge issue. I can see also um, potential problems as well for integrators where they then have to select equipment that they're maybe not used to working with. So having to settle for other equipment. So there could be reliabilities, reliability and performance issues with the, with the systems that they're installing. But, um, or maybe having to go for, um, you know, less, less high quality Product. So there's maybe performance issues as well, but um, I think the only way around it is to keep the dialogue with the customer open and just and just be very clear with them up front. And that's the best thing that integrators can really do. But as Mitch said, it is an absolute sort of perfect storm, really. And um, I think ultimately, unfortunately, the homeowner is, is probably going to be the one that suffers the most because of the product that's actually installed is not necessarily what the integrator would want to install if it was a first choice. And how many of your products, uh, Giles, are sitting outside the port of Los Angeles on a container ship that they can't bring in? So, you know, add that too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So eBay can be your friend then, right? It can be. Not a lot of uh, integrators make much money from uh, purchasing from eBay, but, you know, maybe, maybe it moves more to integrators also um, sort of adopting more of a servicing model for customers as well, if customers are procuring their own equipment. But again, it gets into a really difficult territory there because integrators are working with products that they're not used to. So either way, it's not a great situation for the industry right now. But Is the it- conditions might enable a, an integrator to give a logical reason why you need to give me the money up front. I need to order the stuff four months ahead or something, right? Absolutely. Is, is, the, is the situation, dare I say, dire enough now that to Mitch's point, you can effectively go to your client and say, hey, you know, A, we need full payment for equipment up front because we're ordering it, we're submitting our payments, and we have to get you into a queue. And then yeah. be able to not not to tie the two stories together, but pull up a Best Buy website and say, "See, nothing. Even Best Buy has nothing." Are we to that point? I think it could create a sense of urgency for sure. I mean, it's kind of weird to think of it that way, right? A sense of urgency, but it's like, hurry up and wait. Give me your money now, so that maybe in this year we can fulfill your entire project. But I also think the homeowners being hit from that through plumbing, through Mm -hmm. GCs, you know, everybody's pouring money into their homes and I'm sure they're, I just went and got new appliances and I got hit with, we don't have that. What's the next option? Yeah. And that right there is kind of cool too. What's the next option? I'll take the better model or two up from where you had me at, if that's available. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. It does. It does offer that upgrade possibility. (laughs) 
Yeah. All right, gentlemen, let's move to our likely last story of the day. This literally just was, was dropping throughout the morning and the afternoon. Uh, there's been a statement on ISE from Mike Blackman, uh, somewhat expected, somewhat not expected, depending on how you look at it. Uh, essentially, they are still planning for ISE to go forward, but there are some some changes, uh, and a lot of these are going to be exhibitor specific. Uh, but things like there will be no penalty fees if you withdraw before March 5th, which is obviously only a couple of days away. Um, that if you have not decided and have paid in, in part or in full uh, for your booth space, you can get the opportunity to get a full refund or use it as a credit towards 2022 uh, or other 2021 events. They're uh, going to retain all priority points for, for the floor, uh, as well as uh, they're looking at potentially doing some more smaller shows and, and some more regional stuff and expecting this show to as we said, go forward, but also uh, be be significantly more regionalized. Giles, I, I'm going to start with you on this just because I know you're kind of the closest out of everybody to this. Um, I'm not overly shocked by this. We, we've been talking on, on this show, on AV Week, uh, on a bunch of other podcasts that I've been on recently about what ISE and, and Infocom look like this year. And it's really dependent on, I think, where you live, to, to be perfectly frank. Um, is this what you were expecting to see come out of ISE? I, I know CD is obviously a 50% partner in ISE with uh, Avixa. Um, is this kind of the way that you were expecting this to play out? I, th I have to say, I think so, um, I, because when I, you know, I, I've been on some of the calls that happened um, last week, um, IC has a manufacturer's advisory council, and I think it's very interesting for us to, our perceptions of what the pandemic reality is very much based on our daily lives of where we're located, mm -hmm. like where I am in California, it's been locked down, still is pretty much locked down, it's opening up a little bit, but since March, and it's had a, you know, mask mandate for that period of time. It's different across the world. And, you know, you take, for example, the UK, where 30% of the population have had their first shot of the vaccine. So they're ahead of most, most nations. Um, what's, what I think was interesting is um, having been part of some of these conversations and actually reviewing some of the survey data, it shows that there is still a willingness to have an in-person event in mm -hmm. Barcelona. Um, as long as it's obviously safe to do so. And that's the critical um, piece of that is, is people only... Um, attend, a, attend a trade show if they feel absolutely that the right safety procedures are in place, which ISC um, are, are actively um, pursuing. You know, we're dealing with a situation that's three, that is three months away. Um, I, I, I like the approach and that they're, they're looking at um, other locations as well, not just Barcelona, recognizing that people are probably less likely to travel um, long distances. And of course, we know that the likelihood of probably the U.S., um, manufacturers um, being able to travel overseas is, is, is probably somewhat limited. So um, I think um, what ISC are doing is absolutely fair to manufacturers. They're not going to be penalized whatsoever. They're allowing manufacturers to decide what, what they want to do, what, what is in the interest of their, of their staff. They don't have to um, attend this year. They can get a full refund. There's no penalties and then participate again next year. And also the priority points uh, remain in, intact as well. So 
I, I think this is um, the best best approach really for the, for the show. Very good, Mitch. You're you're an exhibitor. You've been involved in these shows for years. Um, as as Giles alluded to, you know, this is kind of what everyone was kind of expecting this to be, uh, especially you know Jan first. Um, nobody was expecting ISC to go forward in the t- traditional manner in which it, it normally would. Typically, you know, that would mean Friday night, we would be having dinner, um, not in Amsterdam as, as per usual, but, you know, somewhere else, we'd hopefully continue our Friday night dinner arrangement. Um, what, what impacts your decision when you're looking at whether to go forward with this show or not go forward with this show as a manufacturer? Is it based on your ability to have a UK, like a, a European office that can staff it versus having only a, an American team that goes over? Well, let's, let's take a look at uh, what, what happened a year ago. So last year we were, well, 70% of us were attending ISE in Amsterdam. I mean, it was down at that point in time. And we were planning on, at that point, exhibiting at, at uh, um, ne- well, every year, obviously, but uh, we're also uh, Light and Building was one of the big shows we were going to participate in after that. And we were coming up on a deadline where we had to make a decision, go, no go, or lose your deposits. And that was, I believe we had 24 hours to make that decision. And so to me, I, I like to simplify it, um, take a very difficult decision and oversimplify it makes it easier. So for me, the simple question is, um, what is the potential best upside? What is the potential worst downside? And when I put it that way and looked at a show like Light and Building, everything and attendance last year being down at ISE, mm-hmm. it was a very simple decision. I said, we're not going to do it. And uh, once again, we, we were leading trend leaders and they ended up canceling the show. Fast forward now to a year later. And the same question comes up with ISE. And I love that show. And I truly enjoy our Friday night dinners. And, you know, I mean, I really do enjoy that show. Um, and I love the people and I love the travel, the whole bit. But, again, ask the same question. Not even the logistics, whether or not Spain will allow anyone to come in, right? Because that, we may not be able to get through the European ports of entry, right? Yeah. What's the biggest upside? What's the biggest downside? Biggest downside is health, right? You could lose people. So I don't care if I have an office in Barcelona. We can't do it because the upside doesn't come anywhere near what the downside would be. And so we made a decision to not participate, uh, which was a hard one to make. But I mean, that's kind of, again, oversimplifying it. That's the decision to make. Yeah, very good. Jimmy, let's, let's kind of wrap this up real quick. Um, when, when you guys look at this from, from Surjax's view, we typically interview, like, heck, half, most of the time it's me interviewing you or one of your coworkers in your booth at ISE. I know everybody that's in your booth, all coming over from the US. Does this instantly, you know, the, the, the travel concern side of it, does it, do you think, completely can this show for most North American companies that don't have European uh, representation? Absolutely. Yeah, I don't, I don't see participation from the U.S. Uh, I don't even know what percentage to put to that, but 90% maybe. 
if you have a US team and you think you're going to support that show via that team, I don't see that happening. I think your distribution or your rep network, if you happen to have that overseas, then that's probably what you're reliant upon. And your booth is probably not the booth you've had before. It's probably a much less, uh, you know, uh, in, in stature, you know, tabletop or something, backdrop, that kind of thing. Let me, let me, before we close this off completely, let me just kind of ask the panel. This is expected to take place in essentially three months from today, give or take. Um, in October, uh, Infocom is going forward in Florida. In September, CD Expo is going forward. What are our expectations of a localized, obviously, U.S. show? Are we expecting kind of the 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 same iteration where both of those shows will be pretty much U.S. only? I wouldn't even go that far, to be honest with you. And, and it's really unfortunate because those are two really, really great shows. But I would not be optimistic for a particularly good turnout at the CDA show. And those are the things we've got to be deciding now as, as an exhibitor, right, Jimmy? We've got to decide now because we've got to build that booth. We've got to start inviting people. Um, well, we, we obviously, we had to pull out of, uh, out of CDA this year, again, for the same reason, planning out. And Jimmy, I'll toss the ball to you. What do you, what do you plan on doing? We haven't made a decision just yet. And I think uh, this is the month for us to pull the trigger or not. But I, we're marching forward with plans to attend both and support both as of today. I think um, what I'm interested in is looking at big events and in the next month or so, trying to see how they react. You know, live music and, you know, those kinds of events. Are they postponing? Are they going forward? Because already we're seeing all of that, you know, in, in uh, March, April timeframe being pushed to the fall. I think the hope is there that by the fall, these vac vaccinations will allow us to do something to Giles's point. So many people want to see other people, but to Mitch's point, they want to do it in a healthy manner. Yeah. So I think some of this also is going to come down to the location. I mean, what's interesting is, um, you know, Indianapolis has hosted 40 events since July last year, believe it or not, some of which have had 10,000 attendees, you know, and I think a lot of them are sporting events, but there have been other events that have been hosted at the convention center. So I agree with you. It's going to come down to your willingness to get on a plane ultimately and, 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 and be in a room with, with, with thousands of other, of other people. And I think a lot of this is going to come down to the vaccine rollout for sure. Um, but what I can say is even just being over in Portugal for three, three months at the end of last year, and then also going to the UK, you can see very noticeable differences in, of people's willingness to go out and engage and have, you know, dinner with friends. It's, different attitudes in different places. And that's the same in the US as we know. So um, as, as Mitch said, it's, it's probably too far off now to with those particular shows, but um, hopefully with ISC, people will have that, that comfort to be able to go to the, to go to and, and enjoy it. Yeah, very much so. All right, gentlemen, we're going to leave it there. Thank you all for joining us. Mitch, if people want to connect with you, learn more about the Z-Wave Alliance, how do they do that? Just uh, send me an email at Mitch at zwavealliance.org, or you can tweet at me at Mitchell underscore Klein. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Jimmy, my friend, if people want to connect with you, learn more about Surgex, where can they do that? I think the best place to go is espsurgex.com. We've got all our contact information up there. 
Beautiful. Thank you, sir. Mr. Sutton, my friend, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day. Uh, if people want to connect with you, learn more about Cedia, where can they do that? Twitter's the best place, um, at Cedia Giles. Thanks ever so much for having me today, Matt. Excellent. Thank you for being here. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us. If you'd like to connect with me personally, you can hit me at Matt D. Scott on Twitter as well as pretty much every other social platform. But more importantly, please visit avnation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of our other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week.